As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up you're listening to the Tom Fickler Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. All right. Good, men, good morning, New Haven. Thank you, Tom Fricklin. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, New Haven uh, Public Radio for giving us this time today. And I have a great show for you today. All across the nation, we are facing... A th- over a 35% decline in teacher candidate enrollment at our schools. And, and I actually, yesterday at our opening school meeting, uh, we had one of our leaders tell us, we may be closed down in five years. We've been educating and preparing teachers and leaders for 173 years here. So it's kind of scary. But today, I've got the shining light in the nation. I have... Uh, um, the University of Kentucky, and they're going to talk about the Kentucky plan. And what I'm going to do is uh, Dean Julian Vasquez from the School of Education will start us off. He'll introduce himself, tell us a little bit about his passion. And then he has some key guests from uh, that Kentucky plan with him. And they will introduce themselves quickly and tell a little bit about their passion. And then we'll get right to the gist. What is this Kentucky plan? Go ahead, Julian. And thank you. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, so glad to join everyone there in New Haven and beyond. I'm Julian Vasquez Heilig, Dean of the College of Education at the University of Kentucky. I apologize that it looks like car karaoke in the background here, but I'm right in the middle of leading a, a leadership retreat and we're, I'm taking a break here uh, to, to have a, a conversation with you all. What's my passion? My passion is addressing some of our nation's biggest challenges in education and the teacher shortage is one of those. And we are doing that at scale at Kentucky. And, we, we're, and we're doing it uh, uh, in ways that I think will surprise you. Um, I think you will be excited. Uh, and then we're gonna give you our recipe. Um, and I've, I've brought the folks with me who, you know, my, our, our team, uh, an incredible team. Margaret Rintema, who is our uh, associate dean of, of undergraduate students. I brought Beth Goins, uh, Goins and uh, Amanda Nelson, who are our chief communications officers. And they're gonna talk about our creativity, our passion, our innovation to accomplish this, not only for our state, but, but nationally. And I, I'm, I, we're so excited to join you. All right, how about we go to Margaret? Hello, everyone. Welcome and, and thank you so much for having us on. Um, uh, I'm my, my passion. I, I began my career as a middle school teacher. Um, and I, um, uh, am, am, have been very focused most of my career on training teachers, but my passion really revolves around undergraduate education and doing everything we can to support that experience for our students so that they can be as successful as we can um, help them be. Perfect. Perfect. And it looks like on my list, I have Amanda next. Hi, I'm Amanda. Hi there. Um, my background is in journalism, public relations. I grew up in a newspaper household all my life. I've been writing, but here at the University of Kentucky, um, I would say my passion is helping young people discover 
what their passion is and it's okay to pursue it. And when they come to a university, that's the time to get it all figured out. Um, we help work with recruiting students. And so part of that too is with teachers, they have a lot of voices saying, don't do it. And so they have to cut through that noise and decide to follow that path. So part of what we do is show examples of other students that are making that decision. And then that helps encourage um, people graduating high school to say, okay, well, you know, I've heard from my teachers, from my parents, from my family, you know, maybe try pharmacy or something else, but I think my heart's in, in education. And so we help them come here and figure that out and decide if that's what they really want to do. All right. So we're, we're hearing that message. All right, uh, Beth, I think you're next. Yes, so I come from a, an interesting background, uh, news and marketing and PR. I've worked in uh, the public sector as well as a private corporate. So um, I bring a little bit of that into my work. Um, I know in higher education, sometimes we think about marketing. It can be a, a dirty word sometimes, um, but we really want to think about it in a different way. Um, we are sometimes I think with marketing, um, it, it sounds like it's spin or we're only showing the good. Um, I think one thing that is um, that I love about being here is being able to tell the story in an authentic way and being able to reach students where they are. So those are two big motivators. I'm also, my mother would not be happy if I didn't mention that uh, I'm the daughter of a public school teacher and I just have a real love and appreciation for public school, well, all education, but we really, I, have, I think what connects us is we all have a passion for supporting and uplifting the teaching profession. All right, so we've, we've, we've come to this point where we're in a nation that's seeing, I, the last data I looked at was from March and it was talking about a 35% decline in teacher, schools of education enrollment. And that was pre-COVID, that was pre-COVID. Now, uh, last time I talked to uh, Dean Vasquez, he, uh, he had mentioned that, hey, we bucked that trend. We're back up to the pre-COVID numbers and we're climbing higher. So I'd like to go right to uh, the Dean. And yeah. Dean, can you tell us a little bit about those numbers and what's the challenge? And, and is there something in the water in Kentucky? Yeah, right, right, the, in the water. That, that, they say there's something in the grass. That's why the horses are so fast. That, that's what they say. I, I think that they say that the bourbon's good too because of the water. But um, so let me, let me say this. Uh, you know, you often hear people say, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news first, right? So let me start just quickly with the bad news. In the 1970s, uh, the data show that almost one in every five graduates was an education graduate. Um, and you've seen that decline to the point where now that only 4% of all graduates are, are education uh, graduates. So quite a dramatic drop the last three decades. I always say that recruiting for a college of education is one of the hardest jobs there is in, in higher education. So that's, that's the bad news. And, and, you know, the Learning Policy Institute also said that the pandemic has accentuated the teacher shortages. Now, there was an article in The Atlantic yesterday saying that there was no teacher shortage. So I, I wanted to take a look at his argument. And this is what his argument was. First, there's no teacher shortage because I haven't seen the data. I don't think that's a strong point. 
The second point was that people don't want to go to public schools. Also, not a strong point. So if you, as, as a member of the Educational Professional Standards Board here in, in Kentucky, appointed by the governor and confirmed by the Senate, the kinds of requests that are coming to us from districts are showing us there is a teacher shortage. If you ask your local superintendent, he or she is also, or they are, are also going to tell you that there's a teacher shortage. So uh, I think the Atlantic is wrong. Now, let me tell you the good news now. That's some of the, that's some of the bad news. So here's, here's the good news. Well, the good now, stuff. we started this work in Kentucky in 2019. Um, so the last three years, we have been engaged in changing the paradigm for teacher education and telling the story of teacher education. So we are up 61.7% in our, uh, in our college since 2019. We have increased... And so it's not just the enrollment, we've also increased the diversity. And the diversity of our incoming freshmen has increased 151%. That's for our college, okay? Now our college has um, education, sport, and human science. So those are, now. but let's talk about teacher education very specifically. If you can believe it, the numbers are even better for our teacher education than they are for our, our entire college. So our teacher preparation programs are up in three years, 79.8%. Our, our the, the increase in the students of color in our teacher preparation programs is up 258%. Jesse, that number is even better than the number I gave you two weeks ago because now we have a, a lot of the data. Now, let me just say, my staff wants me to say this, this data is preliminary until the final drop ad date in September. Now, we don't think we're going to lose hundreds of students between now and the next two weeks, but this data is preliminary. So an increase of almost 80% in our teacher ed in three years. And in terms of diversity in our teacher ed, 258%. Now, there's a question about scale, right? We train uh, between 220, 230 teachers in each class. So we have about 230 freshmen um, that are going to be teachers uh, in our, our introductory, our introductory class. So, so I'll, I'll ask since, uh, Margaret talked about the undergraduate, you mentioned something that I can immediately see a difference. You're talking about going after the freshman class. Now I'm at a, a school of education that's been in business for 170 years, and we don't seem to go after the freshmen. We wait until their own, when they're juniors and they apply for the professional program. So, Margaret, are you go, is your school really going after the freshmen? Absolutely. You know, it's important for our faculty and staff to get involved with our students really before they even get on campus. So we develop um, personal relationships with them starting in the in the spring of their senior year in high school and, and carrying over through the summer you know, where we, we have just a lot of efforts at that relationship building. And then they have opportunities in the fall. You know, they're in schools, they're in um, our introductory freshman class with, with faculty right from the get-go. So it's really important to us that we are connecting with them early and often and building those relationships. Excellent, excellent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask Amanda a question because she talked about, uh, Julian did mention the narrative the paradigm shift and the narrative, change in narrative. And I, I think I remember Amanda and Hope and in the statement when she talked about her passion, mentioning that we've got to counter this negative perception of what it means to be a teacher today. 
Amanda, could you tell us uh, how are you changing the narrative to make teaching a positive thing? I'll give you just a clear example. Uh, two years ago, we had a barbecue at my home. My wife is a teacher, we're all teachers, and we probably have 30, 40 teachers there. And all of them in that age, upper age bracket, where they're starting to think about retirement at the time. And, and the question came out, are any of you encouraging your children to become teachers? And not one of them in that crowd did. So Amanda, could you tell us, uh, how are you changing that perception? Because I looked at that crowd and I thought, I should have 30 wonderful future teachers coming from those families. All right, Amanda, tell us about it. Well, you know, TikTok is the thing right now. And when I scroll through my TikTok, because it's an algorithm, it recognizes that I do a lot of Googling and whatnot about education. And I see all kinds of TikTok um, influencers talk about why I left education. Um, there are podcasters on TikTok that I love to listen to, and they tell stories from the classroom of bad experiences they had and how they would never go back to education. And there are influencers that talk about what skill sets the teachers have that they can use in other fields. And so there is a lot of noise and we hear it from our students that are majoring education about what their, their family members, their own teachers said to them. And they'll say, you have so much potential, you're great at, at math. Why don't you be an engineer? Why don't you be a pharmacist, a nurse? Because they see you'll have, um, and you will be more respected. And they hear all of this and they um, come to school pre-med, pre-pharmacy. And what I have to do and um, others that work in recruitment and marketing is really tell the stories of the teachers that are taking that passion that they've always had since a lot of them say since they were a child, they wanted to be a teacher and the positive stories. So we're not afraid to, if one of media stations in town calls and said, you know, we're hearing from the superintendents um, in certain county that they're having a teacher shortage, teachers are quitting. We're not afraid to gather a group of students, talk about it. Um, don't shy away from the negative because what happens is when you are out there talking about it, there are people that when they hear that there's a need, that's where their heart is. They want to go fill the need. It happened with one of my own family members. He had a great career going for himself, but he was going home at the end of the day and feeling like, wow, um, those things that I typed on my computer today are really not doing much for the world. And I think a lot of people during the pandemic started to, to feel like they were looking for something deeper and more meaningful. And um, he switched. He's now a special education teacher here locally. And so we're getting those career changers at well, uh, as well. So really what we have to do is highlight which is working and where people are really personally fulfilled. And it's able to help those young people that are making those decisions. Um, you know, they, they, the, you know, the teachers in their school that are saying, don't do it. They, they listen. They're able to um, find have a lot of um, people like the Dean was talking about the freshman class. Yes, we could have people change their major, but we could also come into education because they are here um, to do something else right now. But as they take classes and, really get to know um, the career that they're going toward, they might decide, you know what, I really wanted to be a teacher. So we do have a lot of students that come into our college after their freshman year because they decided to be what they're really passionate about. So maybe we add a little TikTok to it and uh, we'll come to Beth and then I'm gonna come back to Julian because those numbers on diversity uh, 
increases are, are amazing. But right now, Beth, you had talked about marketing. So I'm wondering about how do we change this marketing? Following up on Amanda, following up on Margaret, how do we turn around uh, students who are coming into education? For me, I'm 67 years old now. Yeah, young, 567, but there's no better profession. Every day I go home feeling like I've accomplished something, some small good for the world. Horace Mann said, be ashamed to die until you won some small victory for humanity. And I feel like I win a small victory for humanity every day. So Beth, how do you market that? You know, it's just the experiences, just like you said. So our students coming into our programs are having these moments where they feel like they are making a difference. They're having these powerful moments and they want to talk about it. So we are just sharing those authentic stories. We have a group of student ambassadors that we've been working with for a few years, but we really started in the last couple of years, putting them kind of front and center of some of our social media channels. So thinking about where students are, for example, Instagram or TikTok, we have students who do takeovers, who um, are telling their stories, who are showing what a day in their life is like. And that's not something you know new. A lot of people do that, but we really don't filter it. So they are showing what it's like from the time they get up through their day. They're talking about those moments that really mean something to them. And sometimes it's, it's just a, a photo. So students will have a meaningful experience um, there, there's a program here, for example, um, UK has something called Dance Blue. So it's a student-led organization that raises money for the children's hospital, in particular um, for cancer research. And so there are, um, a lot of students are really passionate about that. And our student, our education majors will often take that to the students they are working with in the school. So they'll have mini dance marathon, for example. And so they, we, you know, hand them the Instagram account and say, go, go with it. And they, um, we had students who did a live Instagram from the school and just showing the joy and you see them, you know, the students are hugging them and they're just so excited. They're so happy to be there. Um, those sorts of examples where we just really want the students to tell the why of why they are doing it and what they are getting from it. And in particular, I think the support that they get. We can market all day long. We can say all the great things, but unless students really experience it and they, they get the reinforcement from the faculty they encounter and the staff, um, it's not really going to go far. One thing that we see in this generation is they really value authenticity. I know I say that a lot, but they really do. And they are pretty savvy. They can cut pretty quickly through, um, you know, the filters and they want to be real. And so, you know, they are going to be able to pr tell pretty quickly if we're really about that or if we're just talking about it. So uh, those are some examples of what we like to do. So I'm hearing uh the, the TikTok, the Instagram, but I'm also hearing you say that you gave responsibility away. I'm not so certain at my university that we would say, here's the Instagram account, <laughs> go for right. it. Uh, we, we have such a fear of that and we spend oh, the time yeah. recreating things, creating things, yeah. and maybe they, they come out non-authentic. Julian, yeah. uh, we really got to come to this, this concept that right now in public education, 
at least 49% of our, our students in our public schools are students of color. And if we do not attract students of color into yeah. the teaching profession, it's over. So could yeah. you tell us how a 200 and what, 50%? I, I don't, that, yeah, that's incredible. I, that's impossible. Yeah, I, you're doing the impossible. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's really incredible. Let me comment really quickly first on, on telling the story. Um, and then, then, I'll, then I'll circle to that, which is that uh, if you go to our Instagram or our Facebook or our Twitter, it's at UK College of Ed, at UK College of Ed, you will see these incredible stories that the students are telling about their experiences in schools, their experiences in communities, their experiences like, you know, a day in the life. I don't know if you've ever seen like a takeover where you see what a teacher ed student's life looks like for a day. And the thing is, is that that really counters that negative narrative that you hear because those, those Generation Zers, one of the interesting things about the research about them is that they want to leave a legacy, even more so than the Xs and the Boomers and the Millennials. That's what the research is telling us, is that they really want to make an impact on the planet. Um, leave that legacy for mankind, as you said, Jeff. Uh, Jesse. So I, I think that that's really, really important is that they see that outward facing the stories that we're telling and they say to themselves, we want to be a part of that. That's what they're telling us. Now, we know now just sort of shifting gears to your original question. We know that it is so important that we train educators of color. Really interesting work by Travis Bristol out at UC Berkeley about the importance of teachers of color uh, for students of color. Um, and we know that students of color have higher critical thinking skills, have higher achievement um, and, and long-term life outcomes when they have teachers of color. There's an extensive body of research that shows that. And, and considering, for example, that we know that in just five years, 44% of all students in K-12 are going to be Latino students, Latinx students, in just five years, right? So the demographics are changing even in Kentucky, the fastest growing demographic in Kentucky is Latinos, right? So it's just important to understand the demographics are changing. And so we've got to think about the demographics of our teachers too, because we know it impacts their, the students' academic success. And so we do this in a lot of ways. We have faculty doing Zoom conversations with potential students of color. That's that authentic, personalized connection. And it takes faculty to commitment to do that beyond all the other insane amount of things that faculty are responsible for. We have reduced the internal and external barriers. We're having conversations about changes in policy. Like I said, I sit on the Education Professional Standards Board. We know that, for example, the praxis has been a real problem. And um, the, intro, introduct, the intro praxis, we were able to find ways around that during the pandemic, but we know historically the praxis has been a real challenge. So how do we assess um, on exit uh, uh, high quality teachers. Those are conversations that we are engaged in in policy conversations too. So that's not only internal stuff, but our external conversations that we're having with other deans, public deans and private deans and educators. And uh, I know Margaret and um, actually there's three Margarets on, on our leadership team. All of the Margarets are, in, are engaged in. And elevating the teaching profession and making the case that we need teachers of color and making that case to them. I always say to our staff, I want everyone to see themselves in the in how we communicate with the public we want everyone to see themselves in our college right and also making the case that if they come to kentucky that they're going to have mentoring opportunities with faculty of color 
And that's another place that we've had success. We've increased the faculty of color in our college by 20%. We are, the mo- we are now the most diverse uh, college in terms of faculty on campus. And we recruit all kinds of diversity here um, at, at UK. And the students notice that because they wanna have mentors of color. They wanna have mentors who may have a visible or uh, disability, et cetera. That is really important to us. And that only happens if we want it to happen. Mary Beth Gassman recently said at Rutgers that quite frankly, the reason why we don't have diversity of all kinds in higher education is because faculty and universities don't actually want it. That's why it does not happen. And we want that to happen here at Kentucky and that's why it's happening. So what we're really talking about here today is the Kentucky plan is an ecology of hope and action. Oh, we love it. Hope and action. We love that concept. Now, now we 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 want to connect. You're not only doing stuff connected in in the local schools in the community, but you also have a civil rights connection with the NAACP. Mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. I agree with you. With this new generation, they are mission driven. They will change their jobs instantly if they mm-hmm. feel that they can they can improve the world. Uh, it's not, I, I have an easier time selling them saying, well, you know, teaching is hard work, doesn't pay really well, but heck, it could change someone's life. That lights up their eyes. So mm-hmm. they are different. Well, tell us a little bit about the connection to mm-hmm. the, yeah. uh, the, the NAACP in, mm-hmm. in, in the U- University of Kentucky in the School of Ed. Yeah, so this is one of the exciting projects that I had an opportunity to talk about the last time we were on, but it's, 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 it's coming to fruition. So we have the first national partnership with the NAACP, the Civil Rights and Education Initiative. And that attracts students. We have many students working uh, and there will be more this year. And and quite frankly, I need to to make an announcement right now that Adrienne Dixon, we recruited her from the University of Illinois to be the new CEO and executive director. She's an AERA fellow, which is one of the most prestigious honors in the field of education. She's a top 200 scholar with Edweek. Incredible. I would say she's one of the top five African-American female scholars and one of the top scholars in the nation. She's the new executive director um, of of the center. The former director, uh, Greg Vincent, actually left us to become the president of an HBCU, Talladega College. So um, I, that, that's an announcement I want to make for your listeners. Adrian Dixon is, is here on campus at Kentucky leading the initiative. So yes, students and faculty both are attracted to come to our campus because of this ecology of, of hope and action. Now, there's some other stuff, Jesse, that I, I'll, I want to tell you about uh, regarding HBCUs, but I can't tell you yet. I can't tell you. You know, deans deans have secrets that they can't tell until, until the university well, we is ready know- to tell we, we know that HBUs have no <clears throat> problem attracting uh, students of color into teaching, have a long history of that. And yes. a connection to Central Connecticut State University, we are the almost prominent graduate from 1853 was Ebenezer Bassett, who is the hero of Hispaniola, and really the founder of Cheney College, the first historical black college. And we have a building named after Bassett. It was a 10 year struggle because they wanted $10 million to name a building 
And we said, no, we don't pay. This is the most famous person. And it was a battle because we had ministers in the community behind yeah. us. And we showed up, every, showed up at every higher board of ed meeting. Uh, we changed that. But, but yes, we've got this concept over there, HBUs. <clears throat> we can learn. We can learn. Uh, we can learn from them. It's not that they're not struggling with enrollment issues either, but we can learn. They're graduating people. But I wanted to get your comment on this because you mentioned practice, the entrance. I'm going to yeah. tell you something Connecticut did. The Black and Latino Caucus in Connecticut uh, went after Pearson over practice one because they had got the stuff that it's keeping people out at the gate. And so they sent their lawyers and their legislators down to, to Pearson office in Connecticut. So I think it was three days in the office every single day saying, where's the data? that it shows it improves teaching and learning for children. And after three days, then they finally, Pearson sent in lawyers, not, not the people said, we don't have any data. And so in Connecticut, you take the practice exam, so you gotta pay for it, but there is no cutoff score to get into the school of ed. So I do yeah. think that's a key, that's a battle we're fighting right now. Is there data for some of the gates in, 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 in profession. So I'm hoping yeah. that uh, we can take Pearson and not that, you know, take them, to the, take them to the court and tell them, if you have the data, you've been doing this now for 20 years, yeah. you should be able to show the data, a clear yeah. demonstration that you have improved yeah. teaching and learning uh, in mm -hmm. our school, especially as, as the Gates. I, I, I can't yeah. imagine how many people are not teachers today because of that anxiety of a term. But uh, I, wanna, I wanted to ask a question to Margaret because this, uh, and, and I think because she does the undergraduate, she can help us. When I look at the numbers of community, Margaret, the numbers of, of our students uh, in our community colleges are increasing. And, and they are places where also diversity is high. Can you tell us, is the University of Kentucky, do you have agreements with your community colleges? Do you reach out to your community colleges? Because I find them to be a fruitful ground. Could you tell us about, about that? Absolutely. And in, and in fact, I'm part of a collaborative group with um, our local um, Bluegrass Community and Technical College, and we meet periodically to talk about um, the students that we have and how we can work together. Uh, so it has been enormously productive and I couldn't agree more that community colleges are an important part of, of pulling more people into the profession. I agree completely. So we've got that, that that's a key. I certainly think that that's one piece of it. Um, uh, you know, I think one of the things that our students so need is to have that person, right? Their person on campus that, that they can connect to and that is their advocate and, and works with them. And we just really have a, um, a, a strong focus on that and a dynamic team that works to make sure that our kids get those connections. So I, I just think that connection and that relationship is, is critical. Um, in addition to that drive for service, right, to make a difference in their world. So, so I'll come back to, to Julian, and I'll, because uh, being a dean of a school of education, and you have talked about recruiting uh, faculty, diverse faculty and faculty, uh, I'm of the belief that we have a new kind of faculty that's needed in our schools of education. Not one that just comes to teach classes, not one that just does their committee work, 
but one that inspires and lifts and almost, and what Margaret said, mentoring people. Julian, so what, what kind of faculty should we have? Are they a new breed of faculty or are they the same old faculty that you and I had? Well, you know, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I have Linda Darling Hammond. So, uh, you know, she was really a model of, yeah. of public scholarship uh, and impact and conversations about justice and democracy for historically marginalized communities. Um, you know, I, so I, I think that, that that is really uh, uh, the model. Now, here, here's the challenge. The challenge is, is that that's not what's incentivized by our universities, right? Um, what's incentivized by the universities are things that uh, bring in revenue of, of different types, right? I think there are some universities like Kentucky that are, are moving in the direction of thinking about how is it that social good, the social good, whether it be with climate, education, energy, you know, across the portfolio, how is it that we can incentivize that kind of public knowledge creation um, um, uh, on behalf of literally the, the planet, right? So um, I think that that has to be integrated in the way that faculty are incentivized. Um, I think it has to be in, incentivized in the way that we assess faculty because the bottom line is that when you go out for tenure, it's research, service, and teaching. That's it. And so I, I think that, you know, the, the, the new generation of, of leaders um, are really interested in, in, in impact. Um, and I, I think that the way we're able to empower faculty to do that is by expanding not just the communicated values of universities, but the actual values in the practices and policy of universities. Now, those are conversations that we're just beginning here at Kentucky. Now, clearly our faculty are heavily involved uh, here in the Commonwealth uh, nationally and internationally. We have a whole new uh, approach to international, our international portfolios. You can bring me back to talk about that one day. Um, but that's where I think the rubber meets the road, right? It's where we move beyond discussion and into action is when the policies and practices of our universities and our colleges um, explicitly value what you just said, Jesse. So we, we, there's this mission that we're talking, a mission for almost, we could almost go back uh, to Horace Mann and not to say that he was a perfect person, but Horace Mann and that concept of for the greater good, uh, creating uh, uh, common schools for the poor that were good enough for the wealthy, that kind of concept over there. So we yeah. have that mission over there. There's, there's an elephant in the room. And, and, and I, I think, and, and it's an old one, so Nell Noddings, the feminist educator, uh, used to talk about the dichotomy, the dichotomy about a sense of responsibility in teaching that, that pushes teaching to care for, for their students uh, and to think about promoting the best interest of students. And, and then she, the dichotomy was, she said, and, and it comes up against the demand for accountability in there. And so we mentioned a little bit about that with the praxis and stuff. So this demand for accountability of an education reform movement that have pu has pushed high stakes testing rather yeah. than 
citizenship and civics and art and music. And I think you've been writing about this for a decade now. Yeah, but accountability, and the question I always ask when people talk about, about accountability is accountability to what? Accountability to a test that's a snapshot in time or accountability communities, accountability to our values, right? <clears throat> so when we're talking about the practice, what is it that we value in a teacher? Is that actually represented by the praxis or is the veteran teacher that's mentoring that student, is the faculty member that has six or seven students out in the field and has been observing them for an entire year in their placement, do they have a better handle on how that teacher's doing than, than, than uh, any of these testing companies? I think my answer to that question is yes, that we have accountability has to represent our values and not necessarily represent the values of a, of a testing testing company. So, and, and, and so essentially what those accountability metrics have done is they become barriers, barriers uh, to change. But um, so, you know, but I, we could continue until, until Jesse uh, come back, comes back on. But I, I do think that what we really have focused on is what is unique and special about Generation Z and how it is that we can do work to attract them to our profession. And so what's interesting about Generation Z, I talked about one thing, which was their legacy, that they want to leave a legacy. I think another thing is that they're digital natives. And, and I know for baby boomers and some Generation Xers, the fact that Generation Z is so engaged in devices is, is sometimes problematic to our generations. But that's what these students are. They're playing games online with their friends, they're on TikTok. They're in, interacting with, across all borders with each other. And so that's the place where we want to tell that story is in that, that ecology. And I, don't think we're, and I think one of the other interesting things about Generation Z that we're really, want, we're really appealing to is that they are more comfortable with diversity and interconnectedness than the generations that came before him before them. Seeing the friend groups of the millennials as they come into our college and they're interacting in our college is so incredibly exciting to me. It, it, it just, it, these generations years give me hope uh, for what's coming for, for our nation. They, they really do. I think one of our uh, activities, you reminded me um, last year, um, Dean, remember when you were on Twitch? So we even did a, a Q&A. We, we played games on Twitch and answered questions uh, where students were on there, were gaming. And each of these initiatives, when, a lot of times with marketing or where we invest our time, we wonder about the return on the investment. So did we get any students because we spend an evening on Twitch. We don't know that, but those are all pieces of the puzzle. So um, if we ask about what is the thing that makes the difference, it's all of it. It's all of it. It's being where the students are. And then those, um, what I call drops in the bucket that really add up to help fill up that bucket. Um, being in the, the spaces where students are to be part of their awareness and their friends see these things and it, it continues and it builds upon itself. And so we're talking about these high school students. Our, uh, a lot of our high school students, they may become aware of our social media through 
um, recruitment materials they receive, but a lot of them see it from their, their friends. So their friends who are a year or two older, who come to UK, who are majoring, and they see what they're doing, then they're sharing that. Um, we tag the students in, in our posts and their friends are seeing that. And so again, going back to where they are, being in those digital spaces, it, it really helps us to be able to reach more students. And, and I got to say, this it's important to have for a college of education to have a strong partnership with the university too. And so I will go over to our financial aid department and say, look, we think it's very important that teachers choose Kentucky over our competitors. We think it's very important that an ed, becoming an educator can be as affordable as we can possibly make it. And so we make that case directly to the university that they should make strong offers because colleges don't control financial aid, that they should make strong offers. And the indications are, we don't know exact numbers yet because you know things still have to settle out. The indications are is that the university has been a really strong partner to us and has increased the support of our students coming into our teacher ed programs and really, quite frankly, across our college. Because I make the case to, I've made the case to the provost that look, there, we're the, we are the flagship, the public R1 flagship of our state. There's only 50 universities like ours nationally. And so the question is, did we want to be a part of the solution and could they empower us? And so the university also has to direct resources to College of Education. The College of Education cannot be in line behind business, behind law, behind medicine. The university has got to see the sacred mission and so for those of you out there that are doing the kind of work that we're doing, you've got to make that case to the university to be strong partners in your work. Um, you know, and the thing is, is that, you know, we wanted to come on this show because one, we wanted to give the public uh, uh, a, a, an opportunity to understand how we can do this work because the broader pressure in the public policy arena is how can we train teachers as quickly as we possibly can and put them in front of your kids? And that is a really big challenge. You see in places like Texas, 70% of all new teachers come through alternatively certified programs. What does that mean? They vary in quite a bit in quality. But what is the worst possible situation in Texas? You see a billboard on the side of the road on the highway that says, become a teacher next week do 30 hours online, and we will put you in a classroom next week. Now, not all alternative certified programs are that week, but there is a quite a bit of variation. And what happens is, is that if we don't prioritize in public flagships and private universities, et cetera, and encourage students to go into teacher education, what's going to happen is that we're going to have this huge influx of underqualified teachers that we see in states like Arizona and Texas and others. And what that means is that your student is going to have a teacher that has, let's say they're a special education teacher, that they've never been trained to write an IEP. Now, you may think that they're a highly qualified, certified special education teacher, but they may have had literally no training to do that before they're in the classroom to teach your children. And so that's why this conversation is so important. I think the, the public and the private universities understand that we have got to buck the trend that is 
showing a downward spiral in the training of teachers' education. Because if we don't do that work, what's going to happen is that public education is going to be sabotaged. It's going to be sabotaged because we're going to have teachers that are underqualified teaching, not only in historically marginalized communities and hard to staff schools, but in suburban schools and wealthy schools, because we know right now, primarily underqualified teachers teach in historically marginalized communities. But as we march towards uh, uh, the deconstruction of teaching as a profession, that becomes a problem across public education for uh, whether it's suburban, urban, or rural. Do we have you back, Jesse? Um, he sent a question in the chat since okay. his, his microphone is out. He'd like for you to talk more about that sense of responsibility to promote the best interests of our students and the world that uh, Nell Nodding said teachers need. Yeah, let me, let me give that one to Margaret. Margaret, you want to answer that one? Former teacher. I was. I started, I started out as a middle school science and language arts teacher and, and transitioned to uh, uh, working with preparing teachers, um, it is a it is a clear passion of mine, and, and mentoring them into the profession. And I think that that sense of responsibility is is huge, right? I think that um, it drives the reason that our our people, young people, are drawn to be teachers. Um, they want to give back. They want to mentor um, uh, and help um, uh, kid and pay it forward, if you will, to, to, to kids who are experiencing what they did coming through school. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, you talked about the tension that Nell Nodding talked about with the accountability. And, you know, one of the pieces we, we've mentioned Praxis several times and, and even beyond sort of a gatekeeping how do kids do with that assessment, do know that it's also expensive, right? And so for a lot of our students, it's a financial barrier. And I, and I think that we need to be thinking, uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm considering folks who are listening to this, um, how, what are the ways that we can lower financial barriers for students becoming teachers, right? And, and the praxis isn't cheap. Um, uh, so that, that also is, is a, a definite impact for our students. Um, so I wanted to add that yeah. to the mix. Yeah, and let me add one more thing to the mix. There was a really interesting um, approach to this in our legislature in the last session that didn't make it through yet, which is loan forgiveness for teachers. Because the bottom line is that folks come in and they sort of see the financial challenges of becoming a teacher and the fact that there could be a heavy financial burden uh, compared to, say, going to the business school, right? Now, of course, teachers often become teachers because of their intrinsic, their internal motivation to make an impact. But we also have to make sure that the pecuniary or the financial uh, parts of this work are also reasonable for these educators. And so if your state, Connecticut, my state, Kentucky, was able to find ways to do loan forgiveness. Now we saw um, out of Washington, 10 to $20,000 in loan forgiveness uh, for certain types of, of, fin of, of, of financial aid uh, come out. But I think one of the game changers that, that policymakers could do right now to have an immediate impact nationally, statewide, would be to think about how we can do loan forgiveness for educators. Uh, just because the average educator, the median pay is about 55,000. Now in Connecticut, it's higher than that. 
that's sort of like the around the national median, right? Um, but the it's important that we understand that the finances do matter. Teachers have children that want to go to college. They want to be able to buy homes, right? And they're underpaid compared to other professionals on average with college degrees and, and, and or graduate degrees. And so we've got to think about the finances of this. We've got to think about creative financial public solutions for public policy, financial solutions in public policy, so that uh, teachers, um, young people will say, you know what, if I go to the UK College of Ed, I know that I'm going to have $40,000 in loan forgiveness if I stay in the classroom for five years, something to that effect. So we also need to put pressure and make requests of our policymakers to actually do more for the teacher shortage, to actually do more for teacher education. There are a variety of things that they can put into place tomorrow, if they're in session, tomorrow, uh, to make a difference in the teacher shortage. Now, a lot of times what policymakers are doing is they're coming up with ideas that shorten the time or make it easier to become a teacher. I think that is, that is a long-term solution to sabotage uh, or, or a, a direction towards sabotage of public education. We need policymakers to find ways to make investments uh, in education. I think Jesse's mic is still uh, down. He this had is my another opportunity question. to be a radio co-host. This yeah, is my opportunity. I field this question for him as well. Um, he's saying uh, that this new generation in his courses that he sees, um, that they're fired up to push back against the pushback against diversity in their classrooms. And diversity is a strength to them that inspires and lifts teachers and their students. And I know that we've seen that among our students and talked about that in a podcast recently. Um, do you want to talk about that, Dean? No, go ahead, Beth. I've, I've done a lot <laughs> of talking and I, I would love for you to weigh in on that. Well, we did. Uh, we do hear this from our students. And uh, we did a podcast last spring where a couple of our students were talking about this very topic. Um, something that we often hear from students is, um, you know, I didn't have someone who looked like me. And it matters. As you mentioned, it has um, significant impacts on the students, um, their academic performance and other things um, throughout their lives. So it really matters to them. And so they feel uh, a calling to be that person for their students, to be that mentor, to show the students, um, you know, a positive role model and to, to be there with them. So that is something that drives a lot of our students, I think, when they want to come into the education profession. They're very mindful of that. Mm -hmm. um, and Amanda talked to, to them as well. Oh, go ahead. Dr. Well, I, I, I'm afraid that we may have um, lost him again. I'm not sure if, his, uh, if he's there. One of the things, though, that I also, to, to add to what, um, Beth, you were just talking about, I think that um, it is so important, right, for um, teachers as they're thinking about their their classrooms that we are bringing in the experiences and the backgrounds of the of the students that we that we're serving right and that we're teaching um, kids value authenticity and and I think that um, when we bring forward um, uh, diversity equity inclusiveness issues in our classrooms that really speaks to our kids that that 
um, uh, really, um, that that's that's real world to them, and it and it is important um, and motivating and engaging. So I, I think that those are all things that, um, as we're thinking about um, not only who we're bringing to the classroom as teachers, but also the things that we're doing in classrooms, it's important to to mention. You know, uh, are you there, Jesse? I think I'm. I think I'm back. I You're back. I'm, Harry had me. Sorry for the technical. Had me leave the room and come back. Uh, but uh, we're, we're we're getting down to the end. And I'm so glad that uh, I have such a, a cool group that jumps in and says, "Hey, when your mic's out, we could take over and host Jesse. No problem." But I think the nation needs to hear three or four things in that Kentucky plan that others can learn from. And it can come from all of you or one of you, but let's think about maybe if each of you to share at least one thing that we could do. I'm in Central Connecticut State University. We've been in this business for 173 years. We're the sixth oldest school of education in the nation, the first in Connecticut, and I'm crying out for help. So yeah. help us. Well, I think that's the first one really is that we need help. We can't do this by ourselves. We do this as a team. We do this as a community. Our university supports us. Uh, we, need, we need the legislature to continue to support us and think creatively. We need to work with civil rights organizations. And I gave a, a keynote to the Rotary yesterday making a pitch to support our adopted teacher, our new adopted teacher philanthropy program. So we, we need help. You know, we, we're standing this up. We're standing up the Kentucky plan. But we, we, it takes a village to do this work. We have to be engaged with it and we have to hold ourselves accountable. We cannot do this work by shortcutting the profession of education. We cannot find what is the quickest way to get a teacher into the classroom. We have got to think about how do we make investments to solve the teacher shortage and ensure that every single student has a high quality teacher. And, and maybe to... The one piece that, that I, I want to leave us with today is that I've been, I've been often pointed out and given awards for being an exceptional teacher. And I look back to the one teacher that inspired me, and that was Mrs. Stanfield, an African-American teacher who left North Carolina to come up north to Jersey City, New Jersey, to teach a bunch of ghetto kids. And we were all colors to her, and she inspired us with Marcus Garvey, with Langston Hughes, with Jose Marti, uh, every, every poet, everything you can do. She was an honors English class and she demanded more from us. So uh, I, I, I think what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, uh, let's end with, with that idea. How, can a, how does my school attract new diverse students? Because I'm gonna tell you, Julian, I can count in our school on one hand, maybe two hands, how many teachers of color we have in our program. And this is probably, with, without helping us on this, we're doomed. So could you give us some help in uh, how to do that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's all the things that we, we talked about today, but it's being authentic and personal with, with those students of color. If, the, if you could put your finger on one thing, that is the work that we're focused on, authentic and personal. And that's how we're attracting students of color to our campus. 
there are all the other things that we talked about, the faculty, the Civil Rights Center, um, uh, the leadership of our college, all of those things matter. But I think if you, everybody is asking us for that one thing, they, we keep getting that question. It's being authentic and personal and, 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 and th these, these students are savvy. They see that we're committed and that we're innovative. Okay, I think I think Harry sent me the message to say we're 30 seconds over the hour. So I want to say thank you. Uh, hope to have you back again to talk about more stuff. I'm sure we will. And uh, keep up the good work. Harry, if you need to, you can take us to the end with the music. And thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Beth. It was a pleasure and an honor talking to you all. Go Cats. Go Cats, Kentucky. All right. Hey, go Blue Devils here. <laughs> All right, you can close us down, Harry. We're definitely having some uh, interesting technical issues today. I'm looking forward to being back in the studio. Make you stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving because they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never going to give up, give up. Fall down, I just got to get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my role, less camera action already